Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are glad you're listening today, and I just want to say up front, while we'll, we are normally a call-in show, today I'm coming to you by tape. So just sit back, hope you enjoy the show, and we'll be back uh, live here again. I just uh, I just uh, needed to be out uh, involved in something else with my AgriLife Extension horticulture job, and so we're going to come by tape today. Uh, I've got a number of things I'd like to talk about. Uh, kind of, I think some of them are directly related to the season we're in, uh, and some are just, I, I think, kind of evergreen, as we say, uh, meaning they they would apply to pretty much any month of the year uh, that we're talking about. Uh, I want to start off and uh, talk a little bit about gardening in containers, and and the reason is this: I think everybody ought to enjoy growing things. I just think that's wired into us to be out there, be part of nature, be part of the rhythm of the seasons. And and uh, we certainly know that when it comes to our health, uh, we don't eat enough fresh fruits and vegetables. We eat too much fast food that's that's fried and greasy and other things and just directly related to issues uh, such as heart disease, for example, just one of many things that can be affected by that. And I think gardening is a remedy uh, for a lot of that. Uh, now, I realize you're going down the road and you're going to pull into a fast food restaurant. You don't have time to run back to the garden and grab a turnip. Uh, but I'm just talking about growing, growing your own food. And uh, when you grow your own food, number one, you can control what is or is not used on your food. Meaning, if you don't want food that's been sprayed with anything, well, grow it yourself. And, and, you know, you'll suffer the losses sometimes that come with uh, not using a pesticide to control uh, issues, but you get to decide. Also, when you grow your own food, it's fresher. I used to say it's about 1,500 miles fresher, meaning that instead of being shipped halfway or halfway across the country, uh, it's coming right from your backyard. Uh, and I just enjoy that. Uh, that's, that is one of the reasons that I like to garden. I, I enjoy uh, just experiencing the learning process. And I've been doing this my whole life, actually. Uh, I had a garden in our family uh, property when I was a, a child. Uh, and uh, we, uh, my mom was the main one that did the gardening. Uh, but of course, I was out there having to, to help and work. And uh, the way I like to tell it is uh, whenever I misbehaved, I had to go out and pull weeds. And we had the most weed-free garden in town so you can make of that what you want <laughs> but nevertheless somehow i still ended up as a horticulturist despite the pain and suffering i experienced as a child <laughs> pulling weeds in the garden uh, anyway uh, but gardening it's exercise too it's it gets you outside it's fresh air and uh, we've had dr uh, charlie hall on this show before you know just talking about the the benefits to mental and even physical health of just seeing plants, of just touching plants, of just walking, you know, through nature. Uh, and gardening is certainly at the heart of all of this. So I would like to try to convince more people to try to grow some things. And if you think you have a brown thumb, let me assure you, you don't. You have an uninformed thumb. Now, all you need is to give your thumb 
some education and it turns miraculously green. That's right. Now, some people just have a hint. Uh, what is it? They have a knack for doing the right thing and growing plants. Maybe they picked it up somewhere. Maybe it just got lucky or maybe it just makes sense to them. Uh, and so, they, yeah, they appear to have a green thumb, but they're doing the right things. That's why plants are growing right. You know, when your soil is right, when you choose varieties that are adapted, when you plant them on time, when you take care of them to prevent stress, whether it's water stress or or a lack of nutrients, uh, compacted soil, whatever the stress, when you prevent that, you're on your way to success because you've, you've put, it, put them in a place that has good drainage or doesn't, or you've made it a good drainage place by building up a raised bed. You put them in a place that gets sunlight or shade or some variation in between, and the plants definitely will have an opinion about that. Uh, and so uh, it, all it takes is understanding those principles, and that's just a matter of learning. You have to, it's, it's learning over time. I've, I've quoted, I believe it was J.C. Ralston, uh, that said in order to be a good horticulturist, you have to kill a lot of plants. Uh, and, and that is so true. Don't be afraid to try something out. Uh, we have, uh, and I've, I've used this analogy on the air before, but uh, some of you remember Etch-a-Sketches, where you try to draw things with two uh, little wheels, one up and down, one sideways, and inevitably, as you're trying to draw something, when you're intending to go right, you end up going left and or up and down, and you just have messed up your picture. And so what did you do? You picked up the Etch-a-Sketch, held it up, upside down, and shook it. And when you brought it back down, you had a blank slate, and you get to start over. And uh, I, I would say that the equivalent of holding your garden upside down and shaking it is a spading fork or a rototiller. It's no problem pulling plants out and just going back to the beginning and starting over. Every season is new. Every season is different. Uh, and each time you just get better and better. And that thumb gets greener and greener. And that's why we're here on Garden Success to help turn your thumb green. That's why the Aggie Horticulture Department uh, Extension Horticulture has a bazillion publications on vegetable gardening and fruit growing and other things at the Aggie Horticulture website. And if you've not gone to uh, aggie-horticulture.tamu.edu, uh, you need to. That is a, that is a wealth of free information. Uh, and by the way, the Extension or AgriLife um, bookstore is also online. And this isn't a store where you go buy a bunch of books. This is a store where you're able to go and most things are free. Now, there are a few things. They're going to have to mail you some book or something like that. Yeah, you, you're going to have to pay, pay for that. But uh, in general, this is free. It's free stuff. And so let's say you want a publication, uh, and it wouldn't just have to be gardening. They have stuff on, you know, pests of the pantry and, and everything else you can imagine. Uh, but you can just go there, and you can look it up. And that is so helpful. Uh, it's just, it's just uh, again, read those publications to your thumb and watch it turn green as you do, and you'll get better and better and better. And people will think you just have a knack, but what you have is good information. Uh, I would say that university research-based information, which is what we do here at Texas A&M, uh, that kind of information will guide you into a direction where you have success because it's been proven. When you get onto social media, oh my goodness, 
whoever wants to have an opinion, and especially, uh, I don't know, maybe shore up their self-image with a little bit of a I'm the expert activity. You've seen those kind of folks uh, online, too. Uh, that is not good information. It'll lead you wrong. I've, I've seen stuff like one of, one of the funniest ones is, uh, and I won't tell the source of it, even though I probably should, just because they had, it's ridiculous that they put that out there, uh, is that if, um, if bell peppers have four lobes, they're one gender. If they have three lobes or the other, and I can't remember which is male and which is female, three lobes or four lobes or whatever. It doesn't matter because it's absolutely ridiculously bonk. That's just a genetic difference in the peppers that, that causes them to have three or four lobes. And think about this. A pepper is an ovary. It's a fruit. It, it is in, uh, in and of itself a female uh, being the, the fruit and end of things, but it was pollinated. And so inside that pepper, there are going to be seeds, and those seeds could, you know, they're not male or female. If it was a male pepper, how could it have seeds that grow, right? The whole thing is just a massive misunderstanding of anything regarding botany uh, in and of itself. But that's on social media. And there's a lot of other things on social media. I, I actually collect and save the more ridiculous ones. I saw one the other day that was a tomato. And in one cluster, and I'm talking in just primary bright colors, there was a blue tomato, there was, a, a, of course, an orange and a yellow and a red tomato. And what was it? There was even a purple tomato on there. And I mean, when I say purple, I'm not talking about purple-ish. Uh, I'm talking about primary color purple. There is no tomato that can produce on one cluster all those colors. There is no tomato that can produce a purple a truly purple tomato. Uh, there's no variety of tomato that produce just a absolute sky blue, a little darker than sky blue color, primary color of, of tomato. It, it just doesn't happen. Now, I know you see those and you're going to know better than that, but there's a lot of subtle information that can guide you wrong, and that turns your thumb brown when you start seeing and believing that. Uh, and so understanding, and I'm kind of on a soapbox here. I'll wind it up, but uh, just I, it, it is a soapbox irritation for me. It, just understanding the difference between evidence-based slash research-based information and something that occurred once, and so people think that it works. Uh, there, you know, your uh, aunt Mimi, whatever. Uh, does, one time she went out and she put, let me see, what's in the cup cupboard? Uh, cayenne pepper and oregano. She sprinkled those at the base of her tomato and watered them in and had the best tomato year she's ever had. Okay. Now, that brings us to the subject of causation and correlation. Does correlation mean causation? So hang with me here. Uh, if two things occur at the same time, does that mean that one caused the other? Or if, or could it be that they didn't? And, and we have a lot of interesting correlation versus causation things. Maybe I'll, I'll offer you an example of what I'm talking about here in a bit. Uh, but that correlation does not always equal causation. In other words, just because you did something to a plant, or maybe your grandmother did, and now everybody believes it in the family, uh, it doesn't mean that that's what caused it. And so 
I, I, I just think having research-based information is important. And I would suggest anytime you are going to do, uh, let's say you are going to do a, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, let me, let me come back to that. Uh, it, the, the understanding the difference between, oh, I know what it was. If, anytime you're going to do a search on Google or whatever search engine you're using, put what you're looking for and then a space and then the word site, S-I-T-E, a colon, and then dot E-D-U. When you tell Google site, S-I-T-E, colon, you're saying, I want you to look for what I just typed. Let's say it's, uh, I don't know, tomato pests. And when, when you look for tomato pests, Google, I only want you to look in sites that, and then whatever comes after the colon, that end in .edu. Or you could put .tamu.edu, .tamu.edu. So the first one would only say, I want, only want you to return me university-based sites. Uh, and boy, there's, you know, we're part of the, agri the extension service, the national extension system, and every state has its, its land-grant college where ag research is done. And so you're, you're, you're narrowing down to that kind of thing. When you put .tamu.edu, you're saying, I just want you to look around A&M and give me an answer to this. And that's more local, uh, and so that would be better. But if you'll just do that one simple little thing, you will cut through all of the commercial stuff, all the claims about this or that or the other, uh, all the opinions out there, and it'll, it'll take you right to really good information, uh, really uh, good information. Um, I think that, you know, finding and utilizing sites like that is something that everybody, everybody uh, should, should be able to do. Uh, I was talking earlier about correlation uh, and causation, correlation and causation not being the same thing. And there is a, <laughs> I have several little graphs that somebody else put together. Uh, and one of, and one of them is a graph that, a gra that it, it compares Nicolas Cage films, the number he appears in each year, to the number of people who drowned in a swimming pool. And these two lines just absolutely, they correlate, you know, when one goes up, the other goes up. When it goes down, the other goes down. So obviously, here's what we need to do. We've got to, we got to get Nick to quit making movies because people are dying uh, because of it, right? Of course not. That's the difference between correlation and causation. And people that don't think in a research-based way, they're going to be very moved by correlation, and they don't have a way of, of uh, maybe figuring out is ca causation the same thing. Here's another one. Uh, the uh, number of letters in the winning word at the Scripps National Spelling Bee correlates perfectly with the number of people killed by venomous spiders, the number of people killed by venomous spiders. So here's the deal. Someone, if any of you have, have contacts with the National Scripps Spelling Bee, play, plead with them to just shorten the letters in that final word. I mean, people are dying, right? <laughs> so, okay. Uh, anyway, that's what I'm talking about. Is that not ridiculous? Of course it is. It's absolutely ridiculous. But that's that's what we get into. All right, well, I started off saying I want more people to garden, and I think everybody uh, should experience uh, enjoying plants.
Uh, one of the challenges to gardening is the lack of space. By and large, if you want to have a garden, you need good sunlight. Uh, there are plants that grow in the shade. You can have a shade garden. But by and large, you want flowers, you want vegetables, you want fruit. It's going to take some sun to do that. So what if you live in a place and you don't have room? What if you live in a high-rise and you don't uh, have any place? You just got a concrete patio outside. Uh, what if you live in an older neighborhood and now the trees have grown into such large, beautiful shade trees that it's hard to find a, a ray of sunshine hitting the ground anywhere? Uh, so what do you do about that? You do containers. Containers are easy. Uh, and I want to talk about some aspects of success with containers. And uh, number one is, what kind of container would you choose if you wanted to grow flowers or vegetables or maybe a small uh, dwarf type of a citrus or a hibiscus, uh, something like that? What kind of container would you choose? Well, there's several types out there. Of course, there's wooden containers. Uh, they tend to rot out uh, uh, pretty fast. You see the little ones that they look like they may be made of cedar wood, but they're probably not. Uh, those types. There's plastic containers that are very lightweight, uh, but kind of flimsy. And when you have a plastic container and the soil gets dry, that soil mix or media, technically the media inside, shrinks away from the sides of the container. And now it's dry, but when you water it, the water runs down the outside. So it's kind of hard to get the, the container re-wet again uh, from that. Terracotta containers tend to hold onto the soil. It doesn't pull away, but terracotta is hot. Uh, uh, excuse me, it, it uh, uh, loses its water uh, really fast. I was getting ahead of myself. It loses its water by wicking from the sides in addition to what goes up through the plant and out uh, uh, the surface of the soil. And so that's a terracotta issue. Uh, then there's beautiful glazed pottery, and those containers are just gorgeous. Uh, so that would be a nice thing, but they're very heavy and they're very expensive compared to some of these other types of containers. There's a type uh, that I've always liked, and that is the uh, poly, uh, what do they call it? It's kind of a plasticky foam material. Uh, and I can't think of the specific, I want to say polycarbonate, that's not right. Uh, anyway, those kind of containers may look like they're made out of stone or terracotta because of the coloring and the painting and everything on them. Uh, but they're lightweight. They're feather light. You just drill some holes in the bottom and you have a beautiful container. And I like those for that reason. I think that they, they're, they're also kind of insulated and with that uh, plastic material around the sides. So those are some options. Uh, then there's metal containers. That's the one I was saying would get very hot. I've got a couple of the old giant kettles uh, that, uh, you know, people used to make homemade soap in, uh, those giant things. Uh, that have hooks for hanging over the fire. And I love those containers. They're rusty. They'll last forever. Uh, but boy, uh, it gets hot on the side of that cast iron uh, container uh, in the summer. And if you were to pull plants out of a container like that, you would find the roots on the sun side are, are browning. They're, it literally kills the roots for some distance in. Uh, and uh, you can grow plants in them. I do every summer. But that's just the drawback to them. So pick a container that you can handle. Uh, think about the size of the container. Most things we want to grow, you're going to need at least a three to five gallon container. So if you were going to grow lettuce and carrots and 
and uh, cool season grains, you can get by with even smaller than three gallon container. Uh, you just want it to be, if it was carrots, to be deep enough for the roots to be able to form. Uh, but a, a container like that works really well and is easy. And in the cool season, you don't have to water so much because it's not hot and the plants aren't using water at the same rate as they are when things are warmer. If you, if you um, are looking for something in the cool season, think about that. I've even taken the, the big trays, the, they, um, they're flat and shallow and you put them underneath containers, but I'm talking about big ones, ones that are maybe, I don't know, 16 inches or more across and they're probably three or four inches deep. Uh, and I've put soil in those and grown uh, greens, like sprinkle lettuce, uh, different varieties. Just sprinkle it around the container, water it, and it'll come up. you got to water regularly, but you can grow. And, and what you do then is you take scissors and just mow off your lettuce like you, you harvested it with a combine and uh, take it in and make your salad, and it'll re-sprout and come up and grow in there. You can do that. You can absolutely do that. But for most things, especially when we get into warmer weather, five gallons is, is a good starting place uh, for tomatoes, for example. A small tomato, meaning a, the stature of the plant is small, in a five-gallon container, if you n don't forget to water it for a single day, uh, it, it can be successful. If you get up to 10 gallons, then tomatoes become even easier uh, to grow. And there are a lot of different uh, kinds of containers. One other kind of container that I didn't mention a while ago that I should add are the fabric bags. And they're popular right now. Uh, and they last a good while. Uh, the uh, Just think of a, a like a felt, I guess, would be a fair comparison, but it's not felt. Uh, that Some of them have handles. You can pick them up and move them around. Uh, and they're very simple. You know, they you buy them and they're all folded up uh, and you just unfold it. Think of a pillowcase almost that you're filling with soil. Uh, and, and that's what it amounts to. So lots of uh, good containers to do that. The second is the soil. When you want to have success with a container, you need to make sure and use a quality soil. A lot of things, a lot of times when you go someplace to buy soil, the cheapest one is not what you want to buy because when you open it up, it's supposed to be almost potting soil and you open it up and it's got all these chunks of wood in it and that is not a good blend. You want something that is a good blend that has uh, organic material. material. It, it used to always be peat moss. Sometimes now coconut coir is used in the mixes. Uh, sometimes composted type materials are. Uh, and then you, you need things, of course that holds water, then you need things to help the drainage and they'll put perlite and vermiculite in. Perlite's the little white things that float to the top of the container over time uh, that you see. Uh, that's a, that is a mined mineral, by the way, with lots of pore space. Uh, sometimes people will use things like expanded shale, but that's normally for the ground as opposed to containers to improve drainage. But a blend of those things is important, and you use a quality mix. It has to drain well, and so you need to make sure your container has drainage holes. Inside with houseplants, if you really are careful and smart about how you water, you can get by without drainage holes in your houseplant pots. But when we get outside, it's just not, you can't do it. And I, I won't go into all the reasons why, but it, it will fail on you in time. 
So the drainage holes are critical. Sometimes they're not enough, and you can drill some additional ones. Uh, it's a little quarter-inch bit and just run the drill over them. Sometimes I'm using things for a container that aren't made for gardening. You know, the little uh, oval galvanized uh, containers that are more like, I don't know, you would see them in a, in a farm store. Uh, drilling holes in the bottom of those. You can put a little piece of the soft... Uh, uh, window screen fa uh, fabric down in there over it so the water doesn't wash out of the holes in the soil. Uh, sometimes in, in pots, I'll just put uh, a couple of coffee filters in the bottom, and yeah, they'll rot away. But for a while, it helps hold the soil until it kind of becomes a little more firm and less likely to, to wash out of the bottom of the hole. Uh, location is very important. Again, sunlight. And this doesn't mean every container needs to be in full sun. Some plants, vegetables and flowers, they actually benefit from a break from the blazing hot mid-afternoon sun. You know the hottest time of the day is about 4 o'clock around here in the summer times. And, uh, so anything from like 1 to 4, some, some shade during that time, is probably helpful, especially in the latter part of that time. Just don't go below 6 hours if it produces roots fruit or flowers. If your reason for growing it is roots, fruit, or flowers, don't go under six hours for best success. So location, location. The nice thing about uh, containers with location is you could have a container along the drive driveway. You could have a container in this one little spot out there that gets a little bit of sun. I mean, it, it's easy to move the containers around. And by the way, when you're moving them, don't try to pick them up. They get heavy. And as you stoop and pick up something heavy, uh, well, let's just put it this way. You don't want to put your chiropractor's kids through college. So uh, here's how you move containers. You get you a dolly, or some people call them a hand truck. Uh, you slide the lip underneath the container, and you put a strap from one side of the dolly around the container and then to the other side of the dolly to hold that container uh, firmly up against the dolly itself. Uh, and then when you tilt it back, I mean, it's almost like you're moving the container with two fingers. It's, it's, you get the balance right, uh, and it's very easy to do. And I've, I've done this a million times, and it's great for, let's say you're growing a little citrus uh, plant, like a lime tree, just as an example, in a container. That are not cold hardy. But you can run that thing into the garage uh, whenever we're going to go below freezing, and it'll be just fine. Uh, and that's, I mentioned hibiscus, the tropical hibiscus. I've got one of those in a large container that is going to head into the garage once we get a true freezing night uh, coming along. So uh, location and being able to move the container, that's really important. Uh, the container size, the reason that we want larger sizes is because the entire root system of the plant is confined to the soil mix in that container. So if you take a tomato, uh, I, I just keep using tomatoes as examples, but it's a good one. Uh, if you take a tomato that gets quite large, for example, uh, and you plant it in the ground, and then if you could excavate and get see where all the roots are, they're going to be on the surface, definitely the surface foot primarily, but even less than that, some. Uh, and they're going to go out in all directions, way beyond the plant. Uh, that tomato is mining a wide area of soil for moisture and nutrients. So when times get hard, it's okay. Yet to go a good while before it dries out enough to stress that plant. In a container, not so much. All the roots are just filled in, in the particles of that growing media, the potting soil in the container. And so it takes, 
you know, on a hot sunny day, big tomato plant uh, in a small container, like let's say just a five-gallon container on a, on a large tomato, uh, by the end of the day, you're seeing uh, some stress and some wilting. And uh, while that can happen in the summer sun and it then recovers at night, when it's a true moisture uh, lack-related uh, stress, uh, it doesn't recover at night because there's not moisture there at night uh, when it needs to get it. Just in the, in the garden, maybe they couldn't keep up and they wilted a little during the day and then they managed to pump enough water to catch back up. Uh, but in a container, no. And every time that happens, you're losing production. Uh, that You may have some, some uh, blooms abort. You may have some fruit that's already on the plant start to develop blossom end rot, those little brown things that make the whole fruit ruined on the end of the tomato. Do you see what I'm saying? So we want a big tomato a pot so that when we grow our tomatoes, we're not dependent on having uh, uh, constantly to water those things. Um, I want to talk a little bit about when you plant them. You plant them, uh, any plant, just like you would out in the garden at the same depth that it was growing before. If it's lanky, like a tomato, uh, maybe you've got a transplant that's kind of lanky, you can lay it over, bury the stem, and leave about four inches sticking up, four to six inches sticking up, depending on how, how big this plant was. Uh, and you can do it that way. But plant them at the same depth that they were before, and then water them in. Now, some potting mixes, come with some nutrient already infused into the mix, but that doesn't last. And, and so when, when you put a tomato in, I, you, you can do a couple things. Number one, you can mix a slow-release fertilizer. Uh, you could use an organic-type fertilizer that isn't a salt base. It's not going to burn the plants. You can put quite a bit of it into the soil mix, uh, and that gets you for a while. There are synthetics like Osmocote is a, an example of probably the most familiar example, but there's a lot of other brands on the market that are in some sort of a little prill or some other technology that makes those nutrients slowly available over time, sometimes two, three, or four months. Here in the South, a lot of the ones that say they'll go three or four months are going to go about two or three months just because of our soil temperatures and the increased microbial activity and other things going on down there in the soil. But you can mix that in. Otherwise, uh, I would always, when you plant a plant in a container, water it in with a dilute solution of plant food. That could be, uh, it could be a synthetic like the ones that dye the, the uh, water uh, kind of a bluish or grainish color. Uh, it could be an organic that is maybe a mixture of seaweed and fish emulsion. There is, that's a combo that works pretty good. Now realize that with the organic you're not getting the nutrient levels that, that you could with a synthetic, but that's, that still is an option for people that want to garden organically. Uh, water them in real good. I will water them twice more uh, about oh, five days to seven days apart. Uh, so that doesn't mean you're only watering then. It just means with that nutrient solution, just think of it as apply it at planting, apply it a week later, apply it a week after that. And that should do everything you need to get a readily available, immediately available source of nutrients to the plants so they take off growing. Because here, here's, here's the deal. In order to have flowers and fruit or roots, you need leafy growth that captures the sun. That's how carbohydrates get made. So if your plant is alive and looking okay, but not really growing fast, you're going to get mediocre results in terms of bloom production, fruit production, and so on. 
Uh, but if you keep it growing vigorously, not overdone with nitrogen, but keep it growing vigorously, that's increasing the leaf growth, the shoot growth, the foliage area, and the ability to capture carbohydrates uh, and make that flower that you want, make that tomato or pepper or other fruit that you want, or make that root, whether it's a radish or a carrot. Uh, it, it, that's those organs that we're eating on those two types of plants, roots and fruit, they are carbohydrate loaded and so it takes a lot to be able to, to do well and to do that. And that's the whole reason we're doing it, right? So don't be afraid. Fertilize them along. Make sure that they are uh, actively growing. Another thing about uh, the, con the um, containers uh, is watering. And I mentioned that a container is a confined, a root confining system of growing things. So the water does get pumped dry fast because it has a very small area that it can draw from water and nutrients. Nutrients likewise are going to be limited in a container unless you enhance it with nutrition and keep it growing like we were talking about. But when it comes to watering, we have got to keep a constant moisture on our containers. The bigger the container, the easier that is to do. And when you do that, the plant never lacks for growth. Now, I find that even though I'm a horticulturist, I get busy, I do things, I neglect containers. I do. And that comes at the cost I just mentioned. So I've, just, I've set up a little hose end with a little hose-in timer uh, and a little drip irrigation line that goes along and a little tube comes up from the line and goes into each container that has a little kind of sprinkler, not a sprinkler, but a bubbler kind of um, in the containers. It could be drip. Uh, and then that timer can be set to come on could be set to come on two or three times a day if you wanted and to water for a certain amount of time. And that ensures that you're always going to have moist soil in the containers. And you'll kind of have to watch them the first, especially when we get into summer. Uh, but uh, you can ch change the timer. Like right now, you not need to run every day. Uh, just, just keep them moist. Uh, so I would suggest you do a hose and timer. Those are so inexpensive, so easy to do. And uh, with a little irrigation tubing, which is easy to find, uh, you can kind of do play tinker toys, I guess. You, you just pop it together and, it, and it, works, it works really well. I would recommend that. Of course, that requires your containers to all be in the same area or at least to be able to get a line to them without having a tripping hazard. Uh, mine runs along the edge of a patio. Uh, and so the line is away from mowers, foot traffic, uh, string trimmers. It's down just about an inch under the soil. Uh, and then the lines come up from that into the containers, and the containers are set along the edge of the patio. Works pretty well. So those are some ideas for success. I, I just think that if why not try this winter? Why not make just a salad container? Uh, may, may in fact make three or four of them. It's just simple. You just put them out there. One of them has lettuce in it. If you like arugula, uh, plant some arugula in one of them. Uh, if you like uh, kale, you can have baby kale by growing a bunch of kale seeds and the very cold hardy. Uh, and it's easy. Spinach the same way. I wouldn't mix species in a container most of the time that's not going to work out well. You will see seed companies selling something called mescaline mix and that's a mix of, of species. I have found in my gardens here and I've talked to other gardeners who've tried it 
and one species ends up coming up faster, shading out the other, growing faster than the other, have them in separate, separate containers. And then if you like just a little bit of arugula or a lot of arugula in your salads, then you can mix your salad accordingly just by clipping from different containers. Make sense? Give that a try this, this uh, winter. Uh, one other kind of container, you've heard me talk about it on the show, I'm sure, but that I just love is a wheelbarrow. Uh, I have, it started with an old, rusty, almost an antique wheelbarrow, uh, and now I have a couple of uh, new, I have a new metal and a new plastic type of wheelbarrow. I say new, it's, it's a couple years old. Uh, again, drill holes in the bottom, put a good quality mix in there, mound it up so that it's heaped over in the wheelbarrow. Just, you know, maybe three or four inches, uh, because as you water, as you water and as it settles, it'll end up then at a, at a good level. Maybe four is too much in a wheelbarrow, but three inches or so. Uh, and I think you can have really good success. I've had wheelbarrows, uh, pictures I use when I give talks of a wheelbarrow that has uh, all romaine lettuce. And it's these heads of different colored of romaine type lettuce in one wheelbarrow. So you just go in and you harvest that head of romaine uh, when you're ready to go. Works easy. Another picture has uh, spinach. It's got kale. It's got broccoli. Uh, see, it has some lettuce in it. And what else am I forgetting? It had like four or five or six different things growing in one wheelbarrow. Uh, and the nice thing about wheelbarrows is you can roll them even easier than moving a container. You can roll them right into the garage on a, on a frosty night. Uh, if you need a sunny spot, you can go set the wheelbarrow on your grass. In fact, I did that. I, I had a wheelbarrow, I had one little sunny spot out in a spot in the yard. I put the wheelbarrow there. When it came time to mow, I'd mow up into the wheelbarrow and then move the wheelbarrow into the mowed area and then just finish mowing. So it just got like a maybe a three-foot move uh, each time I needed to mow. Works pretty good and it's a lot of fun and it gives the neighbors something to talk about and you know they need more about you to talk about. So that, <laughs> there, there you can do it with one easy and uh, nutritionally productive activity of gardening in a wheelbarrow. Um, this winter I'd love to, to do some of the trailing types uh, and do a flower barrel. Uh, I, need to, I need to uh, actually get that done. Uh, could have been planted a while back. But maybe alyssum draping over the sides, that's a beautiful plant. Um, you could, yeah, by the way, you could even throw in a trailing herb like oregano or thyme uh, in one of those. Uh, that's a long-lived perennial though. Uh, then you could have other kinds of flowers uh, for cool season. Certainly violas would need to be in there. I would put some uh, snapdragons, the more dwarf types of snapdragons. I would also put uh, some dianthus. Uh, they, uh, there are some uh, cultivars that make tall upright stems as if well, it'd be good to use for cutting flowers, but a very tall upright stem. Uh, one series is called Amazon. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look at Amazon uh, I say dianthus, uh, D-I-A-N-T-H-U-S. And you'll see what I mean by neon colors. Uh, that Amazon's not the only spe only series out there. There's there's others, but uh, that's, a, that's one of the early ones that is just gorgeous. So there we are. Containers, wheelbarrows, uh, uh, you, you name it. It's, it's all there. Uh, I mentioned the... Uh, Aggie Horticulture webpage. I also mentioned the AgriLife uh, AgriLife Learn webpage. And if you go to the AgriLife Learn webpage, 
And in the search bar, uh, you type uh, frost and landscape. Those two words, make, I'm checking it here to make sure I'm telling you the truth. Uh, well, I know you got to search down for, okay, let me try a different thing. Uh, let's say frost and uh, plants. I can't remember the way this search engine is not at all intuitive like, like Google. It's frustrating. Okay, uh, I'm going to find what it is and come back to that topic in uh, just a moment. Uh, anytime you're planting things, you want to keep in mind the planting dates. Uh, if you go to the Master Gardener's website here in Brazos County, you can find the plant guide by going to the edible plant section. And the plant guide is it's a calendar. Um, and the um, uh, it's, it's arranged like a checkerboard. So on, on the column on the left, you have all the vegetables you would want to grow. And across the top is January through December. And then there's bars. It's like start planting here. This is an okay time, and then it gets to, from a light green, it turns dark green for this is the best time. And then, of course, at the end, there's a little light green section. Because, you know, it's not like you cannot plan on October 31st, but you can on November 1st. That's, of course, not how nature works. But if you will go and download that, it's free. And it's, it's, you can just save it to your computer, do whatever you want with it. Uh, it is very, very helpful. And that one, again, that's not on the AgriLife Learn page. It's on the Brazos, uh, see Brazos, I always can't remember if it's .org. I believe it's BrazosMG.org. Um, I'll check that out and make sure. But it, it's free and it's easy. Uh, BrazosMG.com, sorry, that's where you find it. Uh, it's, it's easy and it guides you in the right planting dates. And this is important. You want to plant your plants at the right time. And we have here a kind of unique uh, uh, climate in that we do have some freezes that are hard to figure out when they're going to occur because it can be random. We can go through winter and barely have a freeze, and we can go through winter and have some, a lot of horrendous extended periods of freeze. And so I usually joke and say that winter is three days of the year. We just don't know which three days. Uh, that's kind of how it, it ends up being. Um, and by planting at the right time, so we, we come into spring, we got this window, and then it's going to get blazing hot, and our tomatoes are not going to set fruit well, the large fruited types. So when you plant, if you wait uh, until when you plant, and maybe you're from the Midwest, and you plant when you plant it in the Midwest, well, you're not going to get hardly anything in the way of tomatoes, because about the time they would set tomatoes, it gets too hot to set tomatoes. And so... Uh, it's, it's a disappointment. But by timing things, that's true. Now, the same thing is true with, with cool season and warm season flowers. Um, it, it's really easy to, to just follow guidelines that tell you when to plant them. And you, you need to make sure when you're doing this that uh, you are following uh, some sort of a guideline, again, a research-based, hopefully a local uh, guideline like our Brazos County uh, publication uh, is. It's real easy, easy to do. Uh, see, okay, I want to talk about cultivars too. Uh, when you're growing, uh, especially vegetables, not as much with flowers, but when you're growing vegetables, all cultivars aren't the same. There are tomatoes that ripen in 55 days. There are tomatoes that ripen in 80-something days. If you plant a tomato, that ripens in over 75 or 78, that's about as 
far as I would stretch it, uh, and that's stretching it, uh, you, you're going to either have to get it started early indoors and almost have fruit on it when you put it out in the garden uh, in order to get something or you're going to be disappointed with the results. We like to have things that move faster here because we, we have a blazing hot long summer that shuts down a lot of things and then we've got this sporadic winter and then these spring periods and you will find that our planting window down south here for some of our crops is similar to the planting window further north where it stays cold much longer and by the time the last frost is gone and when the first frost occurs that's a pretty short uh, period of time and so uh, down in south here we got this summer that shuts everything down and we have a short spring a short fall uh, and that works that way too so anyway that's just something to think about uh, if, if you plant at the right time you just are going to have better success and if you use um, if you use the uh, planting calendars to guide you uh, that's the way to go all right I'm going to go back to my comments about uh, frosts and freezes the the two key words that's, that find you the right publication are frosts and landscapes because that is two words in the publication frosts and landscapes and you will find a publication it is free it's called protecting landscapes and horticulture crops from frosts and freezes that's very very simple uh, and it is a nine page or eight page publication full color pictures color diagrams and we cover it was written by uh, Dr. Mani Nesbitt and I uh, Mani is a fruit specialist at uh, Texas A&M AgriLife Horticulture Extension and uh, it it's uh, I, I think it's it's very thorough in fact more than you want to know probably about frosts and freezes talks about how they occur there's a difference between a frost and a freeze uh, and it's not and not uh, always intuitive to people to think about how and when these occur there's freezes that are radiative freezes where the soil or plant surfaces radiate the heat out at night into an open sky and then there's freezes that come through and it is just very cold and the the wind is blowing and protecting plants becomes very difficult but this this publication will tell you what you can do and it it goes into a lot of other things you know you've talked you've probably heard about you should water before a freeze well why is that well it's only moist soil it's not soggy soil and it's so that the moisture itself the liquid water is going to hold heat better than the soil even it it just provides uh, it's like uh, you've you've you know I, I guess this way for our time maybe your time the people used to heat up like a rock and put it at the foot of the bed uh, to, to radiate the heat out and keep your feet warm for a little while at night uh, I've, I've heard of that well this is sort of what you're doing with the soil you're, you're letting the Sun warm it up it's good moist soil and then that heat rises up uh, there are uh, people that uh, spray plants uh, to put ice on them because ice insulates is what they say now here's a good example of the reason we use site colon dot edu when we search something um, if you search freeze freezes um, crops and and um, 
uh, insulation, for example, uh, and then look for it. You're going to find good information. In our publication, you'll also learn this, uh, ice does not insulate like we think it does. Uh, when, and this is just a real quick nerd alert here, but when water changes from liquid to solid, that's called freezing, when it changes, each cubic centimeter of water uh, gives off one calorie to just change the state from, from liquid to freezing. By the way, that works in reverse. When it goes from freezing to liquid, it takes in one calorie for that part of the change in state, the, the, the physics of everything with the water. And so if you continually, you may have seen citrus orchards where down low in the plant, they have sprinklers and there's just ice draping off the plant, the branches and things below that the professional citrus folks are doing. That's what they're doing. But what they have is equipment that puts out just a little bit of water because you don't want to turn your place into a swamp uh, by running water all night. You don't want to make your plant absolutely break apart because you now have put pounds and pounds of ice on these branches uh, and caused it. that is a disaster uh, to do. But by putting just a little bit of water and constantly having a thin coating of liquid that is then freezing on the plant, it actually keeps the bud inside and the tissues, the branch tissues inside from dropping below, much below freezing, maybe 30. I don't know what, and it depends on the weather, the actual cold that you're dealing with. But most people can't do that. And so once you have t turned off the water, that ice temperature and the temperature of your plant tissues is going to drop. Just It's just going to drop. You only are using ice because you have liquid water continually freezing. So uh, most people create a mess when they try to use water as a, a way to protect against frost and freezes. That is one aspect of this eight-page publication. Shows you how to cover your plants properly. There's a right and wrong way to do it. Uh, landscape lollipops are the wrong way to do it. Uh, it talks about uh, providing heat underneath the cover and safety features and uh, things to consider. So anyway, agrilifelearn.tamu.edu. Do a search for frosts landscapes, those two words, and it'll be the only thing that pops up. And it's free. Did I say it was free? Yes, you can download it for free. So we're entering the, the cool season here where we're going to get some frosts and freezes. And our plants vary a lot in terms of their um, ability to withstand frosts and freezes. Uh, some things, when they go into winter properly and they, uh, as we say, harden off, the plant prepares for the cold, uh, they can take whatever we have in 49 years out of 50 or whatever. Uh, they can take that cold, uh, but when they don't harden off properly, they can't uh, take it. And so what about a plant that's marginal? You know, like uh, Esperanza, the yellow bells. The, the, uh, um, it, it's a great plant, but in a lot of years, it freezes to the ground, and then it comes back out of the ground. So it's ground hardy but the top growth can freeze back. Sometimes it partially freezes back and you're left with this ugly plant. If that happens, don't try to keep the above ground alive. Just cut it off the ground and get fresh new shoots out and you'll be right back in business if it was a, if, especially if you bought a Gold Star Esperanza, one of our Texas A&M superstar plants. So uh, another one would be Duranta, uh, uh, what do they call it? It's, uh, yellow, 
uh, gosh, I can't think of the name. It has the yellow berries and the blue flowers. Duranta is very marginal here. Some years fine, some years not. And we have other plants like that. So those would get the attention. Uh, mounding up a little mulch and soil around the base of the plant, should we get a really bad winter freeze, uh, that helps protect that base by using the natural warmth in the soil. Uh, our soil is not going to go below 50, at least a few inches down it's not, uh, here in this area, and we, we can protect a lot of plants that way. Those of you who lived through the February of 21 freeze, where it got down, I'm just going to say 7 degrees, that's what I measured at my house, uh, where it got down that cold, you, and when we had snow on top, that blanket of snow protected plants that never should have been able to take that amount of cold. That would be our hint on, on helping out with, with that kind of thing. Uh, I, I want to also direct you to, on the Aki Horticulture webpage, there is uh, a couple of links that uh, are really, I think, important. There, the, well, there is a section for Earthkind Roses, uh, and the Earthkind Roses is a list of roses that have been grown under challenging Texas conditions and they have proven to thrive. So here's what I'm talking about. Uh, I was at a, a planting up in the Dallas area, Dr. Steve George, uh, very, very uh, involved and in, in a leader really in the Earthkind uh, uh, program development. Uh, and th it was a field full of roses that they went in, they did some soil prep initially, a little bit of soil prep. They planted the roses, they watered them during the first year because, you know, it, the toughest plant in the world, if it doesn't get water to the roots when it needs it, it it's going to die. And so uh, you take a little rose bush and you plant it. Well, all the remember how we said containers, the roots are confined? They're still right there in that cylinder you pulled out of the pot. And it takes time for them to grow in. So that first year, they helped them get established. Then they turned off the water. And they only rescue watered during excessive drought. So they could go weeks and weeks, even in the warm temperature, without watering. They did not spray them. They did not do a lot of additional fertilizing or anything after they got them established. And then they watched them. And they and I, I have a photo. I wish you could see it. But it's this field full of rose bushes. Some of them are dead. Uh, some of them are greenish but have no blooms. Others are green and are covered with blooms. Now, a, a plant that can take Texas heat with very minimal help, no spraying, no disease spraying, no insect spraying, uh, that is an Earthkind rose. And you ought to look at Earthkind roses uh, when you're going to go shopping for roses. Consider that. And it's on the Aggie Horticulture website. The other thing that's on that website is the Texas Superstar program. Now, this is an AgriLife Extension program. Actually, the, the Hort Science in general, research and extension, uh, is part of this program. Uh, but the, the website is texassuperstar.com. Just spell out one word, texassuperstar.com. And when you go there, you can find out all kinds of things about Earth, uh, about uh, Texas Superstar plants. Uh, there are a wide variety. You can find Texas Superstar plants that are annuals. 
uh, flowers. You can find woody shrubs. You can find trees that are Texas Superstar. Uh, perennial flowers that are Texas Superstar. Uh, and then they have a, a, a category called per annual. Uh, and that's the, that is a, a tropical, uh, it would be a perennial in a warmer climate, but we use it as an annual here, or maybe depending on where you're listening as you go south in Texas, it is a perennial. Uh, Durantas, the, the Brazilian sky flower, that's the plant I was talking about a moment ago. Uh, and uh, Pride of Barbados, uh, the Cecilpinia, beautiful, beautiful uh, yellow and, and reddish-orange uh, flowers in the spring. That is an example of a perennial. And then there's even specialty plants. Uh, for example, uh, uh, some vegetables, some fruit, uh, so certain kinds of ornamentals, uh, herbs, uh, even tomatoes have been given the Texas Superstar designation. So go check that out. That's, that is absolutely free information that is very, uh, very helpful when you're trying to you know, have success with your gardening. So uh, we've talked about a number of things today, kind of wandering through, but uh, just uh, keep in mind the idea that why not plant a um, container when you're growing vegetables or flowers this winter? Get the kids involved. They will so enjoy something that's fast and successful, and greens are, are that way. They're very fast and easy. Uh, before we go, I just want to remind you that the Texas Tomato Lovers Conference come, is coming up January 13th at the Antique Rose Emporium. Uh, Texas Gardener is putting this on. It is a limited uh, number of seats, uh, and so you need to call and register soon. You can call 254 848 9393 or email sally at texasgardener.com. Uh, there's going to be a wide variety of talks on there, uh, growing tomatoes uh, with a young family and for a young family, uh, mastering container-grown tomatoes, uh, the best varieties for 2024 of tomatoes, and eight steps to grafting success. Dr. Ong from our uh, disease uh, plant pathology lab, the beauty of diseased tomatoes. Does that sound like a pathologist? Beauty and diseased in the same sentence. And I'm going to be talking about the Ten Commandments of tomato success. That's the Texas Tomato Lovers Conference, Saturday, January 13th at the Antique Rose Emporium. Again, the number 254-848-9393 in order to register for that event. Don't delay because these are always popular. Last time they did it, it was standing room only. Well, thanks for listening to Garden Success. Uh, we look forward to uh, having you again in future weeks as we do our shows. Remember, we're normally a call-in show. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. 